You're listening to the sermon podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 3. We will be continuing on in our series in the book of Ruth this morning. Bear with me this morning. I've got some sinus and congestion stuff going on, so if I just start coughing or snot goes everywhere, uh, just just bear with me this morning uh, on that way. I appreciate Kip uh, doing announcements uh, this morning as well. Uh, But the book of Ruth, uh, chapter 3, we will be going through the entire chapter, Uh, so we're going to kind of read as we go uh, through it this morning. Last time in the book of Ruth, we saw where the women had arrived in Bethlehem and where Ruth had been hard at work in the fields. She was protected by the Lord and providentially led to the place where she needed to be. We saw Ruth and Boaz in their first encounters uh, together, and Ruth was uh, hard at work in the fields. And we saw Boaz as an example of a godly man, someone who was generous, hospitable, resourceful. And then we see Ruth as a godly example of a godly woman. And well, in chapter 3, we pick up with some time now elapsed. They've been in Bethlehem for a while, and we see that the, play, the ladies have a plan to enact. When we think of the plans of women, uh, ladies, when you all get planning, you can accomplish a whole lot. Sometimes it can be kind of frightening uh, what you all can accomplish and scheme together. If you want to see something get done and get done well, Home for the Holidays is a great example of that. Uh, The women's ministry will be hard at work on that, and it will be decorated very nicely in here. It will be well put together uh, for that. But when I think of the plans of ladies, I'm reminded of a time in my life where uh, Kelly and I had not yet started uh, dating. Uh, this was getting close to Christmas way back when. I'm trying to think of when we started dating now. I'm going to get in trouble here. The, uh, there we go, 2013. The, uh, anyway, so we had got to that point where we were talking. We had been talking for a while. We had went on our first dates, but we weren't at the point where we were calling each other boyfriend, girlfriend, yet. Uh, But there were some church members, including uh, Kelly's godmother and my stepmother, who were trying to plot and scheme to make sure that we did end up together. Uh, It was one of those that many in the church wanted us to be together. And so what had happened is, is the ladies kept trying to, this was at the uh, Christmas meal that our sending church would have every year. They would have a big uh, party, and there would be ham and turkey, and there would be a dinner together. Well, they kept trying to get us to where we would walk under the mistletoe. Uh, that way they could try to get us to kiss for the first time. And we were avoiding it. We would see them trying to do that, and then we would steer clear of them. But one of the things that it did do is that it got me to think more about dating and all that stuff. So a couple days after that, I asked uh, Kelly to be my girlfriend, uh, and we had our first kiss without mistletoe. Well, in the, in the text today, uh, we see some ingenuity on behalf of the women, The women have come up with a plan. The ladies have a plan to get Ruth married. And another major thing thing that we see in the book of Ruth, and an underlying theme, is that of providence. God's providence. Him working to accomplish His will and His purposes throughout life. 
the Lord's providence on display in chapter 3, and we see this in three unique ways. We see, first off, that the plans of the ladies were in sync with God's providence in such a way that the choices and the actions they take are, in a sense, His providence, His will being carried out and uh, happening in real life. Secondly, then, God's providence and the choices we make often require bravery. It often requires stepping out into situations that may be uncomfortable or where we don't know the outcome, where there could be many unknowns. And then thirdly, seeking the Lord's uh, providence and following His will also requires patience. It requires seasons of waiting where we're not sure what the answer is. Well, as we go through the text this morning, we'll read as we go, uh, but let's go ahead and start uh, with prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would just teach us from your word today. Lord, help us to be more like you. And Lord, I pray that you would grow us and refine us all, that Christ would shine through in our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Southside and what you're doing here. In Christ's name, amen. The first thing that I want us to see, and we see this in verses 1 through 6, is the lady's plan. The lady's plan. What we're also going to see here is that the Lord's providence is displayed in the choices and the opportunities that are presented to the godly. God often works through choices and in actions. Providence isn't just some idea that's kind of out there. There is an element of providence that is unknown to us, that is in the very heart and mind of God. But providence often plays out in the choices and in the moments that God gives to us. The doors that he closes and the doors that he opens. All of these are ways that that divine providence plays out in human lives. Well, Naomi is at the place in life where she has begun to come out of the bitterness that so defined her life earlier in the book and is now wanting to make sure that Ruth is taken care of. Naomi is now to the point of thinking more about Ruth than about herself and wants Ruth to get married. So her motherly duties kick in. You know, it's time. I need to get Ruth married. So remember, we are in a culture, in a time, in a setting where arranged marriages and parents being involved in that marriage process were huge. So this is also an indicator then of Naomi viewing Ruth as her own daughter. So in verse 1, one day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for, so that you will be well situated. This is a common idiom in the Hebrew language associated with good benefits, with the happiness of the bride, with a potentially long life, with security and safety and home, with potentially many children. The New International Commentary says this about this passage. Earlier, Naomi had wished for the same things. Here, human means carry out something previously understood to be in Yahweh's providence. Thus, she models one way in which divine and human actions work together. As believers, we should not wait passively for events to just happen, Rather, we should seize the initiative and those opportunities, those choices, 
when God gives those moments to us. We should seize the initiative when an opportunity presents itself, knowing that God presents the opportunity. The door, the choice that is in front of you, ultimately God is the one responsible for. God opens the door. God gives the choice, and then we respond. We go through the door. We choose to act. This means, then, that God acts. His providence, is, in a sense, is carried out in the actions of Naomi. So what's that mean? God gives choices. He often opens doors, and for us as believers, it is then important what we do with the opportunities that God gives you, the choices that he lays before you. Some of you may be waiting for a sign from the heavens to do something specifically in your life when God has already given you an open door right in front of you. Some of you may be waiting for some sign from the Lord about what you should do next when God has instead given you choices and decisions you must make. We see God moving then in this way through normal life events. And as the commentary had said, her acts executes God's plan. Verse 2, Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. So next comes the plan. Naomi recognizes Boaz as a potential source of redemption for the family. In the Hebrew, this is the idea of a goel, a kinsman redeemer, one who is potentially able to marry Ruth, who could provide an heir in the, in the family of Elimelech, and would also save the inheritance and the land rights, which was a huge thing, especially in this day and time. So here's what Ruth then needs to do. She needs to get all cleaned up. She's got to get all dolled up, look her best, take a bath, put on clean clothes, smell pretty. And then she needs to go to the threshing floor. But don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Verse 4. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. So this part here in the text is a little weird. Not sure quite all uh, what is going on here, but here is what I can clearly say. The character of both Ruth and Boaz is never in question. They're not doing anything immoral here. Some people want to make this a more risque scene than it was. Winnowing was a time of celebration. It was a time of joy and rejoicing at the end of a harvest. It required work. It required effort to be put in. But it was also a time of then celebrating what God had provided and what God had given. And so Ruth is to go to this celebration, looking her best, smelling her best, and to go and be at the party. But she's to do that stealthily at first, to not uh, be seen by anybody else. Naomi wants Boaz to be at peak happiness. You had a hard day at work, you've celebrated, you've had a good meal, and then Ruth was to act. That way she could talk with Boaz in private, away from other ears, but also at a time where Boaz was, uh, had, a, had a good day. So once again, we see God at work in the ingenuity of these ladies. The next part is often uncertain and is heavy with innuendo. Lie down and uncover his feet are both idioms that are suggestive. 
Once again, the character of neither uh, has, is in question here. But both of these phrases are used even other places in the Old Testament uh, with that kind of tension. I think the author is wanting us to have some of that tension here, but without saying uh, anything uh, bad about their character or what they're doing. But Ruth is to pay attention to where Boaz lies down. Approaching the wrong man in the darkness would be a very bad thing. Uh, if she, is to, she needs to pay attention to where Boaz lays down, because if she ends up at somebody else, it would be for a very awkward uh, situation for sure. And then she's to uncover and lay down at his feet. Why? Well, apparently, this was some symbolic gesture that Naomi thought that Boaz would respond to. In any case, this is a situation with high risk. Someone could think the worst. If people saw them, they could gossip. Uh, there's a lot of different potential outcomes here. It's uncertain, and it's a potentially compromising uh, situation. At this time, with the festivities and the celebration, someone could mistake her for an immoral woman. Someone could mistake her for a prostitute, etc. So verse 5 then, we see Ruth uh, agree with Naomi's plan. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. Will God bless this plan crafted by these ladies? Would human plans and God's plans overlap? Would God bless the clever plan of Naomi, the matchmaker? Or would this be a situation more familiar or similar to Abraham's bad decision, where Abraham was presented with an option and a choice, and they chose fear and not faith and to take things into their own hands, which led to the whole story with Hagar and Ishmael. That was a situation that was acted out of fear, and the choice that was made wasn't a good choice. So for us as the reader, is this going to be something similar to that, or is this going to be something that God blesses and favors? Well, as we think about God's providence and the choices we face, I can testify to this reality in my own life, where God has opened a door and made the path very clear, but where it also required choice on my part. I believe in me entering into ministry and me uh, going to seminary and me uh, coming to Southside. All those were choices that were presented to me in life, a door that opened that I went through. And what I've learned is that God often works this way. God often gives doors for us to go through, uh, choices for us to make. Sometimes he will close a door. Sometimes he will make clear that that's not the right thing. Sometimes he will make it abundantly clear. And part of what we then have to do is to have faith to trust him and to follow him as we walk through those moments. So as we apply this, recognize the choices that God has placed before you. How can you tell that that choice is something from the Lord or something that you've kind of come up with yourself? Well, is the choice something you've been praying for? Is the door that's in front of you, is that something where you've been maybe praying about something specific and God has specifically answered? You know, you've been praying about something for nine months and then you're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to go through it, but it's kind of like abundantly clear that this is an answer to a prayer. Uh, that could be something. 
Or maybe it's something along the lines of, is this choice something that sits well with your spirit? Maybe it's something that uh, is an option before you, but you don't feel comfortable with. There's something that just seems wrong about it. Uh, Something seems off about it. That may be an indicator that that's what you shouldn't do. And does it align with God's word? The choice before you, the option that is presented to you, does it align with the word of God? It would, would God's word uh, encourage you in that way? Does that choice require you to move in faith? Or like I said, I said earlier with the example of Abraham, is that a choice made more out of fear? You know, uh, in, in the story with Abraham, God had promised him something specific, and yet Abraham decided to take it into his own hands and decided God needed a little bit of help. And that led to a lot of problems. So is the choice before you one of faith or one of fear? And then the second thing I want to see application-wise is to trust the Lord with every choice that you face. Every decision that presents in front of you, to trust the Lord with that choice. Secondly, number two, and we see this in verses 7 through 13, we see the plan enacted. Here is Ruth's proposal. But we also see the Lord's providence displayed in the courage of the godly. Following God's will for your life will take faith, but it will also take courage. Verse 7, then, we see the plan plays out. Ruth does what she was asked to do. Verse 7, after Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Boaz goes to sleep to be strangely awakened uh, by a well-dressed, nicely perfumed woman laying at his feet. Talk about a strange night for anybody. And rightly, with it being nighttime and dark, Boaz can't see well, Boaz says, who are you? Um, it's fun to think about what you would do in a certain situation. I had asked Kelly about this, like, I think this week it had come up in conversation. But it's like, if, if that were to happen, I think my first thing would have been to, like, punch. So I'm glad, I'm glad that was not Boaz's uh, response there. He says, who are you? Uh, and so Boaz is, you can sense the awkwardness. You can sense the tension present in this moment. And Ruth identifies herself. Of note here is the fact that she uses the word maidservant. Now, Ruth's been identified by several different kind of words throughout the different chapters that we've been through so far. Uh, as a servant, as a Moabitess, as a foreigner, all those sorts of things. Well, here, the language has changed once again to a maidservant. This shows improved status. The words here for servant have changed throughout the text, and here the word has a connection to a young woman eligible for marriage, someone who has the character of someone uh, who would uh, be uh, a good option for marriage, uh, is what we see here in this word. And then so here then, Ruth doesn't waste any time. She identifies herself, and then she makes the proposal to spread the corner of your covering over me. It's another idiom 
Uh, it's another uh, expression in that day for marriage. It symbolized the protection in the family. It symbolized the protection of the man, but also readiness for consummation. This is also a connection to earlier in the text, in chapter 2, verse 12, where we saw, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Spreading the covering over her connects with the idea of being under his wings. The Lord would provide and protect Ruth through the person of Boaz. God working once again through human acts as opposed to directly intervening in the story. She goes above and beyond what was asked, however, because she could at this moment, at this point in time, she could just be thinking about herself. She could just be ready for marriage and thinking about that, starting a new life and having uh, that new family. But that's not what she does. And she adds to Naomi's plan. Naomi didn't ask her to say what she does next. Naomi's plan was for Ruth to have a fresh start, for Ruth to have a new beginning and a new family. Ruth could have just remarried and that been it. But instead, she invokes the right and the responsibility of the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. This means that Ruth would not forget Naomi. And she would not only, uh, not only take care of her, but she would provide for her mother-in-law and provide an heir who could carry on the name of the Elimelech line. There would be an heir that would be able to have the inheritance, the land rights, the family name. All of that would be able to continue. And this is a responsibility on her, but also then placed on Boaz as he would become the steward, in a sense, the caretaker of that land in inheritance and the family line so that Elimelech's line would continue. In so doing, Ruth makes her own happiness secondarily, uh, secondary in purpose, and the duty of her family first. Verse 10, The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning." Boaz recognizes the act of bravery, the act of loyalty that Ruth is doing. Boaz is moved by her decision. And now another hurdle presents itself. There is an unknown, uh, closer potential redeemer than Boaz. So Boaz will have to make sure that everything is handled in a legal way and everything is handled in the up and up. So he's going to have to deal with with that, and that any other contenders would drop their claim for Ruth's hand in marriage. So just when the wedding bells are in the air, there's another problem that has to be overcome. And as I think about this fact, I'm reminded that following God takes courage. This week, many of you know, Ruth broke her finger. 
uh, Ruth and Karis were playing. They were playing hide-and-seek, and they had went to hide in the closet, and Ruth had her finger like on the edge of the door, uh, and Karis closed the door without realizing her sister's finger was there, and it broke her uh, finger. Uh, Ruth was obviously screaming. Uh, that was a very rough time as parents uh, when you're trying to console your child and there's, you can't really do much for them. So we took her to the clinic uh, and they said that she had a break in her finger and we had to wrap her uh, fingers together. Uh, and there was a, a lot of pain, obviously. But the next morning, we'll fast forward, and we had to rewrap her fingers to make sure that that was uh, good to go. And uh, I was trying to explain to the two-year-old that, like, because she didn't want us to touch her hand at all. She, was, she would keep it away from us. She didn't want to give it to us. And I was trying to explain that this is going to hurt. It's going to hurt when we unwrap and we have to rewrap it back up, but that it's ultimately going to make things better. Like, uh, the, we have to do this in order for there to be healing in your hand. And as I was explaining that to her, uh, and Ruth was kind of holding her hand back, eventually she says, okay, and she's whimpering, which just breaks my heart as a dad, and she holds her hand out to us. Her hand hurt. She was afraid to let anyone touch it, but she had to trust us in order for healing to happen. What broke my heart in a daddy way uh, was her holding out her hurt hand, which she's obviously afraid that's going to hurt more, for us to treat. That means that she trusted us. She, even as a two-year-old, she trusted us enough to hold out her hand so that we could take care of her. Often in life, God will call us to moments where things can be uncomfortable, where we have to deal with painful stuff. And he is asking us to trust him in that same way. And whatever it is in life, it takes bravery to hold out your hand on whatever it is that's hurting. Maybe it's a family situation that you have no control over. And that's something that you have to trust the Lord with. Maybe that's a medical situation that you have no control over. And the one who can help you is the one that you need to give that to. Maybe it's a financial situation or another situation in life. But giving that pain, giving that uncomfortable stuff to him is the best thing for us for healing, but it also requires bravery in that moment. So as we apply this, God doesn't always call us to easy things. He often calls us to difficult situations, to uncomfortable moments, to moments that aren't easy. Secondly, trust the Lord when he's asking for you to hold out your metaphorical hand. Our Father wants what's best for you. And what's best for you is not always the easiest or the most comfortable. Thirdly, here in the text then, we see Ruth as an example of great faithfulness. And I believe that God is calling us to be men and women like that. People who are defined by faithfulness. Thirdly, the th third thing I want us to see this morning in verses 14 through 18 is waiting on an answer. The Lord's providence... Following God's will for your life often takes patience. It requires patience. Verse 14, So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, No one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, Bring your cloak and spread it out. 
He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. Boaz takes care of Ruth. He gives her an alibi to protect her reputation. If anyone was to see Ruth leaving the threshing floor, which could be once again be a very awkward situation, if anybody were to see her leaving, they would see her with all of the stuff that she had brought with her, assuming maybe that Ruth had worked through the night in order to provide for her family. So Ruth guards his and her reputation. Uh, sorry, Boaz. Boaz guards his and her reputation. If anyone was seeing Ruth, they would assume that she had just been hard at work. He protects them both in what was potentially a compromising situation. He guards their integrity. And then Boaz goes to take care of business. And while Boaz has work that he has to accomplish, Ruth goes home. And Ruth has to wait. Verse 16, when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Ruth now had to do one of the most difficult things that God will often call us to do in life, and that is to wait to hope, to be patient, but to not know the outcome. Ruth is hopeful, but Ruth still must wait for an answer that is beyond her control. She can do nothing to affect the situation with Boaz or the other Goel's decision. Boaz will have to do the work needed to redeem the family. Ruth has to wait. Waiting can be difficult for any of us. And God often calls us to do that. To be patient when we don't know what the answer is. To be patient when we don't know what the outcome is going to be. To wait for the Lord to move when there's an uncertain future. Just be patient, my daughter, is what Naomi tells Ruth. And that's good advice for us this morning as well. Some of you may be in points in your life where you're having to wait and seasons of waiting right now. You don't know what's next. You don't know the outcome. You don't know the result of that situation, whether it's medical, family, work-related, so forth and so on. There's many times in life where we are called to wait. We have hopes, we have expectations, we have worries, and we have to trust the Lord. The Lord's advice given through the text and given through Naomi is to have patience. Ruth had to wait while Boaz worked. And oftentimes in life, we have to wait while the Lord is working. So as we apply this this morning, waiting isn't easy. Waiting on the Lord is a way that he often uses in our lives to grow us and to shape us and to help us be more like him. Waiting on the Lord is a way that he often uses to strengthen and refine our faith. Andrew Murray is a person from church history, and he's had this to say about waiting. If any of you are inclined to despond because they do not have such patience, let them be of good courage. It is in the course of our, our, our feeble and very imperfect waiting 
that God himself, by his hidden power, strengthens us and works out in us the patience of the great saints, the patience of Christ himself. The Lord often gives us choices in life. We face them each and every day. And in those choices, following him will often require you to be brave. It will often require you to act in faith and in trust. And following him will often require you to be patient, to wait while he is moving. Today, what is the Lord calling you to do? How is the Lord calling you to respond this morning? Maybe this is a moment of choice for you. Maybe God has led you to this place to change your story this morning. Maybe he would have you uh, to respond to him in faith and to believe in Christ for the first time. Maybe you're here and you need to decide to follow Jesus today. Maybe you're here and this is a reminder that God's not done in your life and in your story either. God is faithful and maybe he is calling you to a season of bravery. To be brave in the choices and the decisions that are in front of you. Maybe he's calling you to a season of patience. To wait while you don't know the answer. To trust him and to trust his providence. As he is working and doing stuff in our lives. Today, how would he have you respond? Maybe you're here today and you would like to join this church family. Or maybe you would like to follow through in believer's baptism. However the Lord would have you respond today, what we're going to do is have a time of invitation. We're going to have a song here together. I will be at the front, and I'll ask Barry if you'll come stand with me up here. And we will have a time for you to respond. The altar will be open for whatever uh, that you need. Let's pray.